Let us pray. Heavenly Father, teach us to come before you in humility, that all that we do would be done to your glory. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be only acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. It is likely that you know this fact, but over the last several years, it has seemed as though there has been one scandal after another rocking the church in America. It is easy to cast this off as the unhealthy celebrity culture or a problem with those other guys. But sadly, I've known Anglican, Eastern Orthodox, and Southern Baptist clergy who have all fallen into disgrace. In the same way, the major stories have hit the Southern Baptist Church, the Independent Fundamentalist Baptist Church, and of course, as we all know, the Roman Catholic Church. And more recently, we've seen several independent Christian organizations fall into ill repute as well. Each time we see this, we seem to have this idea that we should wring our hands and say, well, that group was just unhealthy, so it makes sense. And we continue down our road, never questioning if there is something more, something bigger, which we can learn from what has happened. As I've looked back over the last 10 years of my own ministry, I've had several friends who have fallen into various sins, as well as watched spiritual abuse of people that I care deeply about. The problem can, in fact, be organizational. But these issues do not lie simply with broken organizations. More often than not, they stem from a spiritual problem. It is a problem of the heart. It is a sin problem. Recently, there's been two major news things about this. A famous, one about a famous evangelist who made inappropriate advances on several massage therapists that worked for him. And earlier in the year, a church network leader was forced to step down after it came out that he had been extremely manipulative. With this second man, as I read about it, I took some time and I paused and wondered, why does this seem to keep happening? Why is it that famous and powerful Christian men seem to continually succumb to the ways of the world. And the haunting words of John Bradford came to mind. There, but for the grace of God, go I. It is really easy to look at a sinner caught doing something awful and wring our hands and say, aha, look how awful he or she is. It is really easy to be the Pharisee in the temple, thanking God for being better than the forlorn broken tax collector, hiding in the corner, mourning his sin. It is all the harder to recognize with Bradford that it is God's grace that keeps us, that stays us, that keeps us from our own downfall. Recently, as I read the news of the evangelist who had fallen into sin, I decided I should read the whole article, though I didn't want to. It was not out of some sort of sick curiosity, not to feel better about myself, but because I knew in it was a story that would warn me and help me check my own heart. There on the pages, I saw a man in an organization that wanted to protect the man's reputation, no matter what the cost was. 
He had done, had he done great things for the kingdom of heaven? Of course he had. Was his sin terrible, horrifying, sickening, and heartbreaking? Absolutely. But any ministry, whether it be a national, multinational evangelistic effort or a little Anglican church in Prescott, whether it be one of the nation's largest denominations or a small band of churches held together by Christ, we must be centered upon one thing. Not a charismatic man, not the words of a wise woman, not some neat doctrinal statement, but instead, to quote Martin Luther, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord. We must remember that it is on this rock, the rock of Christ, that we build our faith. The church is called to focus on Christ and Christ alone. When our focus wanders from that, we miss what is important. When our focus shifts away from Christ and onto a strong personality, we fail to fulfill what Christ has called us to do. I want to read you something that St. Paul wrote in his second epistle to the Corinthian church. He writes, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of our Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it be in body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. I know this man that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in body or out of body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except for my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it. So that no one may think of me more, think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelation, a thorn was given to me in, a, in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to harass me, to keep me from coming conceited. Three times I pled with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. As we read that, did you catch what St. Paul was getting at? Do you see where he's going? As St. Paul prays about his own struggle and pain, his own weaknesses, he realizes from God that God's power is made perfect in weakness. 
our lives, our ministry, whether it be a call to public ministry or the personal ministry that each Christian is called to live out in their life, whether you be called and ordained or just a professing Christian that strives to live your faith in the day in and days day out, our lives are not about us. They are about glorifying God. If we depend upon ourselves in this, we will fail. If we make it all about ourselves, about our reputation, this will fail us. Our lives and our ministries are called to glorify Christ, to fall to, and flow out of Christ as our strength, out of Christ whose grace is made perfect, not in our strength or our perfect reputations, but in our weakness. Christ is glorified most fully when we learn to be totally dependent upon him, not upon ourselves, nor our strength, nor our reputations. Perhaps, as, you read the gospel, as we read the gospel lesson this morning, you piqued your curiosity and you wondered what the miracle and the parable had to do with each other. Perhaps you were wondering if they were merely connected by proximity. There is more going on here than simply an odd placement of two stories that the lectionary producers decided to place together. We confess, week in and week out, that Christ is the second person of the Trinity, very God of very God, begotten, not made. That is to say, he existed before the foundation of the world. He and his Father shared the same substance and essence. Or more simply put, Jesus Christ is God and Lord. <clears throat> it is with this in mind that St. Paul wrote, let, not, let each of you look not to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equity with God a thing, to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death upon the cross. Christ became humble. Christ gave up his rightful place in heaven, descended to earth, and took on the flesh of humanity in order that we may re-enter into paradise. At the center of Christ's ministry is this humility and the calling of bringing us to the kingdom of heaven. And this is the backdrop which we need to read the gospel this morning. As he is about to break bread with the Pharisees, if we spent any time reading the Gospels, we know one thing. Jesus and the Pharisees did not get along. The Pharisees seemed to be constantly looking for ways in which to trip up Jesus. And today we learn that they were watching him carefully. They, in fact, were staring at him. They were waiting for him to do something that they could use as a charge against him so that he would be silenced. And here, Christ 
demonstrates his humility. Christ, the creator of heaven and earth, Christ, the one through whom all things were made, the one who had every right to teach by his own authority, stops and asks the teachers, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Elsewhere, we learn from Christ that the Sabbath was created for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created so that we would experience recreation. We might find redemption yet again and again. We might find rest. We might find rejuvenation rejuvenation in a tiring world. But here, Christ humbles himself. He lets the the Pharisees teach an honor that they do not take up. Instead, they continue to watch, and the text simply says, Then he took the man and healed him and sent him away. The man is healed and goes away. But think of this. Even in the humility that we see in Christ this morning, we we glimpse Christ's glory. Even in the midst of suffering and pain, in the midst of illness and brokenness, Christ's glory still shines through. And as we think about this, this miracle becomes a taste of something even greater. A taste of Christ's humility and humiliation in the crucifixion for the sins of the world. And his bursting forth from the grave, for in his resurrection it reveals his glory. It reveals that the grave could not contain him but that he would come forth from the grave and ascend into heaven, where he is seated glorified on the right hand of the Father. Death and sickness have no power over Christ, but Christ has power over all things. The life of the church, our life in Christ, isn't so much about what we get out of it, though we get much. It isn't about our redemption, though we are redeemed in Christ. It isn't about what we receive, though we receive an abundance. It is about the glory which God receives. For it is God who saves. It is Christ who redeems. It is the Holy Spirit who is sanctifying us. Christ's death and resurrection the humility which he shows in the incarnation and today, Christ's ability to heal reveals the abundance of his grace and God's glory. Life in the church, life in Christ when rightly ordered, is about God's glory. Now, I have a question. Have you ever been to a fancy dinner party that doesn't have a signed seating? A few years ago, I went to the Senate on the East Coast as they were electing the suffragan bishop. This man would become the bishop of the Diocese of the East, or will become it next year. And it is all the more likely that he will become our provincial bishop as well. So this would be a historic vote, because we've had the same bishop for quite, quite some time. Every Senate usually has a a banquet of some sort. They can be quite nice, and I always find myself enjoying the fellowship with my brother clergyman. 
However, traveling from our diocese to the eastern diocese can sometimes be awkward because we are a bit isolated. But at the dinner, I found two men who I went to college with and are now presbyters in our denomination. We started chatting and catching up, and then the bishop came over to me and said, come, sit at my table. It was an honor that I did not expect or need, but he wanted to be sure we felt included, and I felt loved and honored by this action. Perhaps you can imagine what that feels like. Perhaps you have had a similar feeling of honor, and this is that feeling which Christ appeals to in the second half of our lesson this morning. But we need to read this passage not through the eyes of this is good advice for good living, though it is good advice for good living. We need to see the greater thing that he points to. St. Paul calls us to imitate Christ. St. Paul calls us to humble ourselves before God. When we recognize our sinful estate, when we recognize that we need Christ, when we empty ourselves of our personal agendas and turn our focus upon that call, it is there that we learn that we become honored dinner guests. It is there that we find good news. When we empty ourselves and turn away from this being, from all of this being about our reputation, and turn our eyes upon glorifying Christ. It is here that we realize, it is here that we see that we have been invited to something big and amazing and then beautiful. We have been invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. We are invited not merely as spectators or servants, not merely as attendees, not merely as people who sit in the back of the room hoping to glance just a little bit of the feast, but the church, that is each and every one of us, is the bride of the Lamb. The church, we, are the bride of Christ. For the church is the bride of the Lamb. The church has been given the exalted position of bride of Christ. And we have been given that greatest honor, not by our merits, but because the one who humbled himself, who came to earth and defeated sin, has brought us in and made us his bride. The incarnate Lord has come to us, has humbled himself, has taken us as his bride and as the body to know him and his love for us intimately. Though we have sinned, though we fall far short of his glory, he says to you this morning and every morning, my beloved, I love you. Come and be mine. And what is our call? This morning as I was starting my day, I prayed a couple of psalms, and I, one was the Psalm 19, and I stumbled across these beautiful words. Oh, cleanse thou me from my secret faults. Keep thy servant also from presumptuous sin, lest they get dominion over me. If we are called to take our call, if we are to take our call as Christians seriously, this is our prayer. 
in order that we empty ourselves and humble ourselves before the bridegroom, in order that we worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, making our lives to reflect his beauty and love for us. My friends, as Christ humbled himself, as Christ points us to the Father, let us humble ourselves as well. Let us focus on glorifying God in all we do, whether it be through neighboring well, or loving our spouses well, or whatever it is that the Lord has called us to. Let us be mindful to do all things in humility to the glory of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.